I am Peter Sloan, a partner at Leeson Ellis in White Plains, New York, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to the 23rd episode of IP Fridays. We have now hit over 2,000 monthly downloads of our MP3 files for uh, the audio files and a total of more than 13,000 downloads. So we are very proud of that. Another thing that we want to mention first is that we will host a small gathering for our listeners during the INTA meeting in San Diego. If you want to learn about this uh, gathering and want to attend the gathering, please visit www.ipfridays.com slash INTA, ipfridays.com slash INTA. In this episode, we will tell you about Taylor Swift trademarking her lyrics. We will also tell you about copywriting recipes or maybe better how not to copyright recipes. And our very special guest today is Peter Sloan of the firm Leeson Ellis, and he will tell us about a recent case he won against one of these scam renewal notices companies. You might all know these companies that are sending out, out these scammy um, letters asking you to pay money for being entered in their databases. But first things first, uh, Ken has a story about Taylor Swift and trademarking lyrics. Ralph, popular songwriter Taylor Swift has made a smooth and successful transition from being a country artist to a pop artist. Her new album, 1989, has broken sales records within the first week. But Taylor Swift has also decided not to have her album available on the popular music sharing service Spotify. Swift's music is hot and has attracted the attention of many people seeking to make profits off of her stardom. Multiple websites sell handmade and vintage products that often have music lyrics written on them. Popular lyrics from Swift's songs have been featured on many products sold through such websites. Her lyrics are printed on merchandise such as t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, guitars, and much more, without Swift's approval or authorization. How to solve such a situation? File trademarks. From now on, if you want to use Taylor's lyrics on your products, however, you'll need to be one of her licensees. Lyrics such as This Sick Beat and Nice to Meet You, Where You've Been, are the subject of pending trademark applications at the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Taylor Swift may indeed have the world's first trademark lyrics. The lyrics that Swift Swift writes have become catchphrases, and many others have seen the dollar potentials of Miss Swift's artistic talent. A quick search of the USPTO data for applications filed by Miss Swift revealed dozens upon dozens of pending trademark applications covering goods such as toys, bean bags, and Christmas stockings, to napkin rings, candle holders, and coasters. 
Taylor Swift joins other celebrities that have been in IP tug-of-wars, with people trying to capitalize off of their fame. Such stars include Rihanna, who learned that a clothing company was selling a shirt with her face printed on it without her permission. Also, pop legend Beyonce has had products sold with her lyrics on them, but she did not pursue filing trademarks on the lyrics. Other celebrities may begin to follow in the steps of Taylor Swift and are likely to be watching the possible success of her intellectual property endeavors. Thank you, Ken. So, if you are an attorney or lawyer, you might get uh, calls from your clients that they say they got these scammy renewal notices or letters from companies that pretend they somehow register your trademark but in fact they are just asking for money for entering information in their own databases or you know these scam letters so um, Peter Sloan of Leeson Ellis uh, took um, a bold step in in my opinion and filed a lawsuit against one of these companies as a law firm so here's what he has to say I'm very excited to be joined today by Peter Sloan. Um, he is known to me as a fellow trademark attorney and blogger. And he recently had a really interesting case for you. So uh, I invited him for an interview. He is listed in Super Lawyers, in the World Trademark Review, in the Who is Who Legal. So he is a really cool trademark professional. So thank you to be on the show, Peter. It's a pleasure, Rolf. Thank you for having me. So can you tell our listeners a little more about you? Sure. I'm a partner at Leeson Ellis. We're an intellectual property law firm. We have 23 attorneys and about 50 people in total. Our office is located in White Plains, New York, in Westchester County, which is just north of Manhattan. I'm the head of the trademark and copyright practice at the firm. My own personal practice involves all aspects of trademark and copyright law, including prosecution, and litigation in the U.S. and internationally. So um, you told me you just won in a pretty important case for IP lawyers uh, in general. So can you tell us about the background of this case first? Sure. We obtained a consent judgment against a business named Patent and Trademark Agency, LLC. They were a company handling trademark renewals in the U.S., only they weren't lawyers. Uh, patent and trademark agency deceived consumers by sending out renewal notices disguised as invoices, and customers often paid these invoices without thinking twice. In fact, the very name patent and trademark agency is itself deceptive. People thought they were dealing with the patent and trademark office or some other governmental agency. And to make matters worse, PTA made all kinds of mistakes in the process of handling renewals of trademark registrations. For example, if you look closely at their terms and conditions in small letters, it stated that they renewed trademark registrations as is without change. And as we all know, in the U.S., you can't claim use of a mark for goods which are not currently sold or distributed in the U.S., and that would have rendered registrations vulnerable to attack based on fraud. So some of our customers, or, or our clients rather, were confused, so we sued PTA for false advertising here in federal court in White Plains. That's really interesting as a strategy because we have the exact same problem in Germany and in Europe as well. And I guess they, these kinds of companies are all over the world. So did Patent and Trademark Agency put up a fight with you? Indeed they did. Um, they moved to dismiss our complaint on the ground that we lack standing. Uh, 
we filed an opposition. It was fully briefed, and the judge ended up agreeing with our position. He found that we had sufficiently alleged damage in order to support our complaint of false advertising. So interestingly, our position was helped by the Lexmark case, which was decided by the Supreme Court while the motion was pending. Uh, In that case, the the court took a relatively liberal view of standing requirements in false advertising cases. And I think that case is going to be helpful to others going on in the future. So after the motion was denied, Patent and Trademark Agency essentially gave up the fight and took a consent judgment. And under that judgment, PTA is barred from providing IP-related services again. So that's really good news in this particular case. So why would this case be particularly important? Well, because Patent and Trademark Agency put up a defense on the ground of standing, and and standing was found by the court, it can really be used by other law firms who are in a similar predicament to bring a case like ours against other trademark or patent scammers. And we all know that every IP lawyer uh, receives these notices and hears about them from their clients. So there's no reason why others can't do what we did, did and take action against scammers. So um, what is your strategy that you would propose? Uh, Well, this wasn't the first time we had done it. We actually put another trademark scamming company out of business. Um, Two years ago, we filed suit against a company named USA Trademark Enterprises, and they put out a so-called catalog of trademark registrations because there are all kinds of varieties of of trademark scams. and, And this catalog was interesting. For hundreds of dollars, trademark owners could have their registration Uh, listed into what amounted to a worthless book. So after we filed the complaint there, USA Trademark Enterprises agreed to take a consent judgment, which put them out of business too. And, uh, you know, we can certainly file a third case, but ultimately we're hoping that our actions draw the attention of state attorney generals who could pursue these trademark scammers or patent scammers for that matter for criminal fraud. Uh, The problem is that attorney generals around the U.S. have a lot on their plates and only very limited budgets. We'd also like the Patent and Trademark Office in the U.S. to prevent these scammers from the unauthorized practice of law before the office. Uh, The scammers are mining publicly available data from the PTO, sending unsolicited notices to trademark owners, and often representing them before the office even though they're not licensed attorneys. Yeah, this is really um, important to see. So do you consider yourself the white knight of the IP attorneys and the applicants? <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, I, re- I received one email from someone calling us IP heroes, and that was very nice to receive. Uh, but ultimately, we'd be happy if these scammers went away. Uh, they're really a, a terrible blot on the industry. Uh, they're taking time and, and money away from legitimate law firms like ours. And they're also undermining confidence in the trademark system. And we know that trademarks are ultimately all about trust. So um, do you have plans for future actions? I mean, there's plenty of companies like these left. <laughs> oh, sure. If, if you look at the, um, at the PTO website in the U.S. or, or the WIPO website, they, they list the various companies which have come to their attention. So we, we would certainly consider taking action against, uh, against others. But... Uh, what would really be beneficial is to see international cooperation since many of the scams originate in Eastern Europe and the victims are located in countries all over the world. So at one point I looked into taking action against uh, a company in the Czech Republic. Um, I believe a complaint was filed with the, with the police. Uh, I don't think it went too far, but I'd be interested in looking into that again. 
um, a, a big development is that Ohim has recently recently launched launched its anti-fraud network, and you can find information about it in searching the internet. And I, I'd uh, enjoy the opportunity to help Ohim if possible. I would also encourage the International Trademark Association, uh, known as INTA, to take a more active role. Uh, for example, I understand that Marquez in Europe has its own anti-fraud task force. So the INTA may want to consider doing something like that as well. So Peter, you mentioned that most of these companies have their roots in Eastern Europe, um, and you encourage other um, law firms to also take action. So what would be your wish list, basically? What, what would you really love other law firms to do? And do you have any particular law firms in mind? Uh, good question, Rolf. Um, I, I don't have any particular law firms in, in mind, although I certainly work with many in, in trademark issues uh, across Europe. But uh, I would love to see our actions serve as a template in, in other countries. I understand the issue is that the laws of unfair competition are different in Europe than they are in the U.S. Uh, perhaps we have a more liberal view of standing here. Uh, but if, if that issue can be looked into and if perhaps it can be discussed on a community-wide basis across organizations like Marquez and INTA, uh, maybe we can reach a consensus as to whether or not there really is something that uh, private actors like law firms can do. Right. And maybe you can, um, do you think you could like furnish a template, let's say, for, you know, for good arguments against these kinds of companies? So law firms, so it would be easier for the law firms to, you know, start their actions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we Our complaints in the U.S. in both the trademark scam cases we brought are publicly available documents. If people want to sure. reach out to me, I'm happy to supply them, as, as well as the motion papers in, in connection with the motion to dismiss filed by Patent and Trademark Agency. Yes, because um, in Germany we also have plenty of these companies, and um, our lobby groups, let's say, they don't really take... A lot action, let's say. So um, a lot, some law firms are quite frustrated with the situation. So maybe that could be a new approach. I didn't hear that so far, that um, law firms actually take action and uh, sue these kinds of companies. So that's a really good um, sign from across the ocean, <laughs> you know, uh, that you're a, a nice signal that you are sending to Europe, you know, um, better start the action yourself. <laughs> my, thank you. My, my theory is that uh, you don't know unless you try. So one of the things that's um, really fantastic about being at a relatively young IP boutique like mine is that uh, we can just do it. Uh, we didn't have the institutional um, uh, bureaucracy or inertia which might inhibit other firms. Uh, but like I said, as long as there's no risk of uh, sanctioning and as long as there's a good faith basis for bringing the action, I'd encourage firms in other countries to try it as well. And, and importantly, it, it's not just that the, um, that the scams themselves are illegal, it's probably that there's a lot of other illegal activity in connection with them. We don't know for sure, but we wouldn't be surprised if, if the illegal proceeds are channeled into other criminal enterprises. So just like with counterfeiting in the U.S., how it wasn't so much the copying of merchandise that Uh, caught the attention of authorities in the U.S. It was the fact that there were some real uh, criminal enterprises, including possibly terrorist enterprises, uh, behind the, the counterfeiting. Yeah, that's good that you know, uh, mentioned this. Uh, just this morning, I went to um, a police station where they 
um, where they showed me some counterfeit goods and I asked them like who that person was, who where they found this and oh yeah, that was a well-known drug dealer. <laughs> so <laughs> so exactly. this is, very this is obviously e these kinds of things like counterfeit goods and drugs and weapons are always like very much connected. Oh, they were all part and parcel of the same thing and, and this is a, a relatively easy way for these criminal enterprises to make money and support other illegal activities. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to uh, to run a computer or program and generate uh, uh, notices to send to people around the world who send in checks in response. Right. And if if the if the authorities are, are not going to take it seriously, it, it's only going to encourage uh, one popping up after another. Yeah, exactly. That's what we are seeing here. <laughs> and and uh, I I should mention that uh, World Trademark Review on their blog. Uh, had a posting not too uh, not too long ago, I think over the summer, about a survey uh, that the government of Australia had taken in connection with scams of all different types, and uh, trademark scamming, although not particularly mentioned, was included in in one of the variety of bilking schemes, and it really put a dollar number to the the damage and the losses to consumers behind these kinds of illegal activities. Yes. Um so will you attend the next INTA meeting? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm all ready for San Diego. In fact, I, I'd love yes. this opportunity to, um, <laughs> to, to plug the law firm day on Saturday of the INTA annual meeting. Um, I'm on the law firm committee of the INTA, and we have a whole day of programming directed to law firms as opposed to inside counsel. So it should be fantastic. Yes, um, and together with your partner, Marty Schwimmer, you are actually also um, running a blog, right? Uh, well, to be fair, it's, uh, it's Marty's blog. Um, uh, even <laughs> before he came to our firm, Marty was well known as the author of the trademark blog. Uh, but Marty also worked together on both of these tram uh, trademark scam cases with me. Yes, and actually you are hosting uh, Meet the Bloggers at each of the INTA meetings, right? I have met you a couple of times there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. Since Marty joined our firm, uh, I've sort of taken the laboring oar in, in helping to, uh, to organize the Meet the Bloggers event uh, last year in Hong Kong being an, an exception. Uh, Marks and Clark uh, put, that, uh, put that event on, but I fully expect to be involved in helping out with San Diego. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meet you guys there at your event. So if people would like to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Uh, I'd love to hear from people uh, by email. Um, my email address is my last name followed by my firm name. So it's Sloan with an E on the end at LeasonEllis.com. Uh, people can also check out my bio on our website at www.LeasonEllis.com. And I'm pretty sure we're the only IP website with a monster on it. And even though he's not a scary-looking monster, he's still a monster nonetheless. And really, that should serve as a warning enough to trademark scammers everywhere. <laughs> Very good. So thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Rolf. If you want to learn more about Peter, go to www.ipfridays.com slash petersloan. That is slash Peter and then S-L-O-A-N-E. So now Ken tells you about a person who tried to uh, copyright recipes, cooking recipes, but failed miserably. Ralph, the fine art of cooking has arrived in an Ohio courtroom. An Ohio restaurateur claims that her recipes were copied and subsequently filed a lawsuit against a local rival. 
Rosemary Carroll, the proprietor of Tomato Tomato, claims that her rival was serving very similar dishes. After filing a lawsuit in federal district court, the Northern District of Ohio court in Cleveland, she learned that you can't copyright a recipe. The case is Tomato LLC et al. versus Vosery et al., case number 1,14CV00469, filed in the Northern District of Ohio. Ms. Carroll authored a recipe book upon which she obtained a copyright. She claims that business partner Larry Moore committed copyright infringement when he offered similar dishes in a catering business that he owns. After hearing the case, the court ruled that the plaintiffs contend that defendants are wrongfully creating menu items by using plaintiffs' recipes. However, the recipes themselves are not copyrightable, and thus any use of the recipes is not infringement. Furthermore, the court ruled, to the extent plaintiffs have a valid copyright in the recipe book, the copyright protection extends to the layout and creative expression contained in the book. It does not extend to the recipes themselves. On this ground, the judge dismissed the case. This copyright recipe case also included several state law claims, including misappropriation of trade secrets and unfair competition. The plaintiff was not pleased with this result and has since filed a notice of appeal with the Sixth Circuit. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.